Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the comics table. The comics table. Hey, we moved the comics table today. We sure did. We're in a very, very uh, clean apartment right now. We are. We uh, we got the U-Haul. We rented it for about fifty bucks. We took the comics table out of uh, out of the last place we were at. Uh, yeah, we did. And now we're doing a rare daytime. Uh, comics table in another person's home. With another person's home, with with uh, S- Sweet Pea and Sweet Tea across from me. That's Tristan Smith. I'm Patrick Holbert. And who else do we have with us today? Ashley Gavin. Everybody. Ashley Gavin. Ashley, how are you? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us over to your house. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm yeah, glad we, I didn't have to like go anywhere. Yeah, you. Uh, we, we we snuck in here. You were still asleep. We set up around you, and then we just kicked the bed and said, "Time to record." Best way to wake up. That's the to, way we do things. Yeah, to two bearded gingers. Yeah, I, yeah, kick in your bed. No, actually, we got you. You welcomed us. You were not. You were up and working, from what I can tell. And uh, you, uh, we we had such a great hang. We were. I feel like we were having a really good hang, and then it was like, all right, time to get to business. Yeah, right. yeah, it was good. So how do we seamlessly keep just hanging out? Uh, we just, we don't talk about it. That's the first <laughs> thing. Like when you talk about how the yeah. hang's got to happen, then the hang's all fucked up. It's like too much pressure. Too for much the hang. pressure. And and then everybody knows it's a hang and hang is just like a weird word. It's Yeah, know, I yeah. didn't realize that we were such good friends until you said that, Patrick. Oh, shit. Oh, well, damn. You know what? Maybe I'll that just That happens leave. to Patrick a lot. I know. He just over he overestimates the relationship. <laughs> well, we were talking, at, actually, Tristan, before you got here, Ashley and I were talking about the difficulty of uh, the proper boundaries between fellow comics, friends, acquaintances, etc., and how to categorize those. How do you navigate that, You know, that, that sounds like a conversation that you guys would have because you are categorizers. <laughs> <laughs> You're very organized people categorizing things. Yeah. Um, I just feel like it's, a, you know, you feel how it is. You know, all right, so I, if you have your really close friends are the ones that you can literally tell anything to, you have something very personal and maybe not the happiest thing happen to you and you know you can talk to that person and you know that that person will also talk to you about the same things. I think that's a close friend, right? Yeah. And I then agree. you have your your acquaintance friends, which are the ones that, uh, you know, you have a good time, you hang out, you talk about real surface level stuff. And a lot of times that's the kind of friends that you have in comedy Yeah, is let's go and talk about real surface level stuff, but I'm not going to get too deep with you. Yeah. And, and I'm certainly not going to call you if there's something real and personal happening in my life. Right. Nor do I maybe even have your phone number. Like, maybe I'll go to your show, but I'd really like it if you came to my show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that kind of relationship. Like that kind of relationship. Uh, and then there's people you just avoid at all costs. Well, you've gotten you've gone from, like, re- like close friendship to to casual acquaintance to, like, fuck off. I think there's some... Yeah. yeah there's other like Patrick there. and I were talking about yeah. the people that you keep at an arm's length... Because, like, with comedy, it, it seems like you're socializing with everyone all the time. And it's a lot of pressure, especially if you're doing it all day. Yeah. People are coming up to you all day talking to you about comedy. And you I just actually zone out, agonize know? over that because sometimes I, even if I like everybody that's in the room, like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And it's not a personal thing. It's just where my headspace is. Yeah. And then I feel like I come across as kind of... Uh, a jag off. Yeah. People are like, man, that guy, he doesn't like anybody. Yeah, he doesn't like anybody. He doesn't want to talk. He's not saying hello. Is he what depressed or does he just hate everybody? No, Ashley, how do you navigate it? Because you, so you, last night I saw you at a 6.30 mic. You had done a 4.30 mic. You were going to be doing an 8.30 mic. So you're going to be in the same bar performing over and over again. 
it must get tiring to be having these like side bowl sessions all the time. Totally. Especially because for me, the time in between mics is like my most uh, productive time. Like when I get off stage and I'm like, okay, I did this right. I did this wrong. These are the changes I'm going to make at the next thing. I want to listen to the tape from the last time, like all this stuff. Yeah. But then like you get sucked into conversations. And you got to dodge autographs. Oh man. All the time. Uh, can I just set up, frame out some context real quick, guys? Oh, oh no. So, so if you're just listening, this is the comics table. Tristan and I are comedians. And By the way, we have over 2,000 downloads, which means that the entire nation yeah. of, <laughs> of the United States is That's listening. There's probably more people yeah. than that voted in the last election. That's I'm pretty right. sure. Totally. I think so. So we're changing America. We're making America great again it with is this great. podcast. America is great now, Yeah, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> All right, um, so again, real, so before we get into too much like weird stuff, I just want to set up that Ashley Gavin is an amazing comedian from New York City who I've known coming up on three years, I think, or two and a half years, something like that, uh, who is a very hard worker. And I think we've been performing around the same amount of time. Yeah. yeah and she's got a so. huge gig coming up. She will be headlining Caroline's Comedy Club in New York City for the first time. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. As, so, you, should, as you should be. So what... While we talk about like the hard work you put in in between mics, I just I just want people to know like there's a reason you're working really hard right now. And uh, well, there's so much there's so much here, right? Like because I've actually brought you up as an example on a couple of different podcasts that we've had in the past as somebody who's like a super hard worker and who's super um, who super excels at uh, social and and getting yourself out there. Thank you. Social I mean, media. Social. Well, I mean, right, social across right. the board because there's social media and then there's just networking with people. Yeah. You know, like I'm always doing these stand industry shows. Ashley shows up. She's like, here's uh, here's money for, you know, 12 people. And all those 12 people show up and they're all taken care of. You got to get the money before the show. Right. That's, they which come. is super smart because other people come in. They're like, I think I have like 15 people, but there could be two. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know. And, yeah. then, and then one person shows up. Yeah, so yeah. My, my first memories of you, actually are from photographing those industry shows. Oh, I used, right. to, I used yeah. to shoot a lot of the Laughing Buddha shows at the stand, and I remember seeing you repeatedly killing every time. Thank you. Uh, and because I was a new comedian, I, I, I want to preface this next statement by saying this. I didn't understand how to do comedy yet. <laughs> so I kept thinking, she did this set at the last show. Why, why is she doing the same set again? <laughs> But now I get it because it's working for you. Um, I don't know. Talk about talk about where you're at because here's the thing. Uh, this is this is Patrick's new thing, where instead of having a conversation, he's like, "Talk about, just talk about." <laughs> well, here's here, here's how I'll ask this question. So we were. This just is so saying, hard for Patrick too because he's just spilled seltzer all over his beard and the floor, and he's really <laughs> trying to keep himself composed. He's having a hard time right now. Well, I'm a very I, big deal. I, I, as a fellow tidy person, yeah. I don't want to mess up the equilibrium of Ashley's apartment. <laughs> uh, well, no, because we were just saying last night, you use that time in between sets to edit and, and fix things for the, your next set. I have a feeling you were doing that same thing two and a half years ago. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I really like comedy and I like clicked immediately but i i really feel like i you know not to be like i still have a lot to learn but the pro- the process of the technical process of comedy uh just kind of gelled with my work process in general like in all other types of work mm. i used to be in tech i used to write code and code is a very iterative thing in that like 
you write it and you look at your mistakes and then you go back and you make it better. And yeah. then you do that over and over and over. That's my day job too. And um, that might be why it's not working for me because well, I'm just not taking that approach. Well, that's, I was going to say, how goal doesn't help no. your sets? That's but, the yeah. goal, right? Like you don't always write code that way. Sometimes you just write right. shit down and it's not good and you turn that in. And of course that See, happens See, I think of everything as design. Mm. Like even coding is design, uh, art is design, comedy is design. Um, but I think you you have a uh, like a kind of more of a uh, uh, an approach that's very exacting and uh, meticulous. It seems like like I remember uh, we were just talking about this the other day. Your spreadsheet of jokes. <laughs> Did you still do the spreadsheet? I of got. Jokes? I literally have it open right over there. Oh, okay. Can yeah. you describe it? How would you describe it? That's somebody that can't see it. Yeah, sure. So it's got I would say maybe ten columns and. Uh, Every row is is a particular joke, and each column has you know a different uh, you know attribute of that joke. So the title of the joke, so I can remember what it actually is. Then I try to put a sound clip of the joke in in its current like best form. Uh, then I put the length in seconds and uh, the number of laughs that I get in that joke. So then you can do a little math and get the laughs per minute on the joke or the laughs however many seconds you you get a laugh in between and then uh <laughs> then i put the average laugh rating uh in there and i, I do that on a scale from 1 to 5 and do you uh, have another do you have another spreadsheet for recognizing as a robot, rep- recognizing human emotions. Uh, I do, I do. That's how <laughs> I got my last girlfriend. Um, <laughs> no, because she's so, also a robot. Speaking of relationships, <laughs> in my relationship, my my fiance tells me that I'm a very robotic person emotionally sometimes, and uh, I see, I, I could see that you have such a mechanical, technical approach that. I, I might make jokes about how you're you're sort of robotic in that way. Yeah, I think uh, I'm a little. I feel a little socially. I feel a little like autistic sometimes socially yeah. with with comics, especially because they're just such a different type of person than I am. But I am a very emotional person. I'm very sensitive. Yeah. I cry like every day. Yeah. So you know, for, really, like, I can't. I can't just imagine one little cry, yeah, like no, one little one, tear, like not. It's like not a, Native a big American cry. Tear every yeah, day. yeah. Yeah. I want to know where you're crying because I feel like when you're out performing, I feel a very tough presence, a macho my, presence. My stage persona is super yeah, aggressive. You, so you can be, and this is something that. Um, we've kind of talked about or poked fun of at mics and stuff, but you can be very aggressive with your audiences where, and, and I've seen, you know, I think it depends on if it's a show versus a mic or whatever, but you're a kind of person that you will literally yell at the audience. In a fun way. Yeah, I tried to, and it took a long time to actually develop that to be a good skill. And I think a lot of comics like saw it in its early development. were like, holy crap, Ashley's losing her mind. And to be fair, there were like two occasions where I legit lost my mind. But the rest of the time I was like trying to because I'm I'm super high energy. And if I can't get the audience on my side, like I'm going to like try and find a way to get them to be high energy. And now I feel like I've got it down. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I'm taking them hostage. They're coming with me. Do you like, think this relationship this is a hostage situation? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the relationship with your audience is a- at all comparable to any other relationships in your life or is it as, <laughs> like a distinct thing? No, it's, it's pretty distinct. I think, I don't know. My family might tell you differently. I'm sure I'm, I get the sense from my mom and my sister. Sometimes Every time we have Thanksgiving, she show. ties everyone up <laughs> and says, eat this turkey the way I want you to eat the turkey. <laughs> I, I, real quick, back to the spreadsheet though. How did you know to do that? Like, and how soon? How early into 
that's a, I don't know if I if there was a moment where I realized how to do it, but I took two comedy classes right before I started doing open Which mic. ones did you do? Well, I did the comedy seller class, but I couldn't finish it because of my schedule. I was doing a lot of improv at the time. That was sort of like my thing. Uh-huh. And I got into this improv class and I was like, my improv Where did you do that? Because that's, that's how I started The Upright Citizens Brigade. Okay. And uh, I was like, that's my thing. It's no longer my thing at mm. all. But I thought that because I put this time in that I should take this course. And I think I remember in the first course that they said you should be getting a laugh every 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that made as like uh, a... That's one of the things that bugs me, though, about that way of teaching, like, improv. Like, it's one thing with stand-up. Is this stand-up that you're talking about? Yeah, stand-up, stand-up. Okay. Oh, is improv, there, uh, it, yeah, they never said you anything cannot, like that. You cannot... You, cannot, uh, you can't guarantee it. a laugh in 45 minutes doing right. improv. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Where I, did you take a class with for, for stand-up? Um, I did it at the Comedy Cellar with uh, Veronica Mosey, who okay. is a genius... Um, she's great. And then who was the other stand-up class? Uh, then I never took one again. You know, oh, okay. a lot of people ask about that, especially if they want to start out about taking classes or people that have been doing it for like a year or two. I highly recommend class. it. I think to get into stand-up, like taking a class is great, but I think like once you're in it, it can be kind of excruciating unless you're focusing on working like a specific skill or muscle that you just can't get on your own. Right. Somehow. I think the what, one of the reasons I would say start with it is because it's going to eliminate bad habits immediately. Mm. You're not going to develop any bad habits, and you're going to be doing stand-up the right way immediately. And you've got five you're minutes to start writing. with. You've you're, got an initial community. Yeah, and you've got people to edit your writing. Then once you're writing faster than you are in the class, like when you start writing stand-up, you're not going to write at the rate that you would in a year or two later, right? And in the class, you only get about 10, 15 minutes of attention, so if you're writing tons of material, a class is not going to help you edit that material. What instead would be a good idea is to start a writing group where you can bounce ideas off of with friends and edit each other's jokes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a I got a question to throw a fire into the mix here. Throw some gas on the flame. Today, Donald Trump was inaugurated. He is our president, President Donald Trump. Uh, as a gay feminist comedian, where's your head at? I mean, this is the corny. I'm definitely partially worried about freedom of speech. Uh, He called the thing that hurt my heart most recently was when he called the cast of SNL terrible. There was just something about that that was, he said, terrible cast. And I was just like, oh, man, that's Yeah, but he said the same thing of like Meryl Streep and like. Yeah, yeah. but that in particular somehow got got to me. And I can't put my finger on why that. But, uh, you know, these people doing their craft. I don't know. It just. uh, no, it's, they're not. They're small. A lot of them are n- not well known to the public. Yeah. Um, they're you know some, some of these guys are featured players. This is their first thing, and mm. so I don't know. These are up and coming artists. A lot of them, and so that I guess that kind of hurt me. Meryl Streep is like infallible. She you can't like take her down. But yeah. like just a, the little guy, I think. Yeah, is it's why. crazy. He could just fire off at the mouth and immediately like <laughs> brand people I love a certain the, way. Those little SNL cast members. Right. We SNL all dream of being there, that. but. Yeah. In the in the scheme of things, SNL is a launching point for a lot of people. Yeah, um, I mean, you have you have a really good Mike Pence bit, um, which I enjoy. Also, I mean, like a lot of the the central crux of your stand up, at least to get it started, a lot of times is talking about your identity as a, as a gay woman. Yeah, and um, it's sort of like social political. It's not necessarily topical, but it's like socio political type right. stuff. So, I mean. Maybe we could talk about like you know the development of that uh, of that of of your stand up in that way, and also like I mean we don't I mean I don't think that the government is is going to really impact the way that I do stand up. I mean, do you feel like no? 
I mean, I might just have more material, but I can't say that I definitely will. I think a lot of people think that we definitely will have more material. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I think your voice is your voice and who the president is doesn't really affect your voice unless he's literally silencing you. Mm. (laughs) And which that's a big problem. Yeah. But we're not there, and hopefully we won't get there. Yeah. I think, though, I I have given, like, other comics shit that are, before all this happened, was like, oh, man, I'm voting for, for Donald Trump because it would be hilarious. And I'm like, all right, guys, you better be so fucking funny now because yeah, yeah. here we are. Mm. You've got it. <laughs> like, I bet you better have an, an hour special on this. <laughs> uh, I love this new bit. I don't know how new it is, but you've been talking about performing at, at the women's college you went to, which is a very progressive place, mm-hmm. and how progressive... Uh, audiences are actually more difficult to perform for and to get laughs from. Uh, Only at certain things. Yeah. At other things, they're so smart that I don't even have to finish the joke. They yeah. like know where I'm going just from the setup, which is like such a cool thing. But in other ways, yeah, I mean, there's a stereotype about college audiences that I don't really agree with. I don't think that they're overly sensitive. I think that the you know the the zeitgeist is changing. Comedy is very transient mm. as an art form and uh if you're not going to appeal to young people you're you're kind of screwed mm-hmm. so i think comedians should be thinking about that i also think when you get up in a progressive environment you have to meet them where they are like it's okay i i always start my college sets by being like i'm gonna say a lot of words and some of you guys are english majors and i want you guys to identify the sarcasm i want you to identify the satire and when you say it like that they're totally on board that's funny because <laughs> sometimes i feel like it, it's it works to preface things like that but other times I think, like, it's the same thing as, yeah, like, like, hey, under- you're having a hangout right now. Yeah, undermine. Yeah, it. I would yeah. never do that at a club. Right. Yeah. They they know what they're there for. But at a college, yeah. they're, like, there to learn, and they might be in their library but, but or that cafeteria. Goes, <laughs> approach. That goes back to, like, the Ashley Gavin pragmatism, robotic pragmatism. <laughs> and I say that with love oh, uh, as a fellow robot. Uh, to Just the awareness to know to, like, say that. I, I want to say disclaimer, but, yeah, just preface, preface something like that. Uh, real quick. You brought this up earlier. I want. I want to. I want help on this. So, I wa- you walk into this apartment, and there is a post-it note grid on the wall that appears to me something similar. I do, which is sort of outlining a set. Uh, how does this patchwork of post-it notes relate to your computer? This is a like a more tactile, tangible version of the joke spreadsheet, where I can. It has. The information, like it's the color coded by how funny it is. Okay, Each so all right, so there's there's yellow, green, and blue. What's the funniest one? So I'm switching the color palette out right now because <laughs> I, I didn't like I the way I didn't like the way the color palette originally <laughs> looked. All this in my is apartment. missing is tax and yarn yeah. to like connect. I, have, I literally have tax and yarn. Where's your newspaper clippings, Ashley? Yeah. Um, the yarn I'm going to use to link callbacks between jokes. But nice, that's uh, a good idea. Thank you. Um, so it's color coded by funniness. Uh, you know, there are a couple extra colors in there cause I'm switching. There's only two purples. What does that mean? Purple's the, the worst. Oh, the bar. The so stuff like that I really. Blue's gotta be the most funny. Blue's actually the, the second most funny. The, the yellow and the green are the funniest. Okay. Um. Both together? Do they represent the same thing? They were there. I'm just switching out the color That's a real flawed system. Ashley. What's the name of what you think is your funniest <laughs> joke? My funniest joke it's got to be electric fence, which yeah. I won't do. No, no, we don't want you to. Well, that's what you, I'm just curious. Cause, it would cause, make sense because uh, that's an open. Not right? only is that the funniest, but it's also the best laughs per minute. It's so. You do a voice in that one. It's sure. good to have voices and jokes. Yeah, people like voices. Uh, 
let's so so this are you shaping your caroline that's set? my caroline set so yeah what i'm doing there is um on the spreadsheet it's harder to visualize and it's harder to move things around because you're using a keyboard and the post-its i can easily be like okay i'm gonna swap this placement for this placement and i can kind of look at it and get a better sense of just what my set looks like and each row is about like seven minutes so, row horizontally yeah, yeah yeah and then you go down it cascades down mm-hmm. okay so caroline's let's talk about it uh big show february 1st mm-hmm. it's a wednesday night mm-hmm. is that correct yeah i'm gonna be there you're gonna be there i'm Patrick? going i'm going I'm ross and I, I, bought my, yes. I bought my tickets i didn't oh, buy did? tickets yet i bought my tickets ashley okay i'm gonna put that ashley, i have a spreadsheet ashley for facebook too. messaged me said buy your fucking tickets <laughs> did you hear what she just said she's like i'll put that in the spreadsheet i have yeah. one for that show too <laughs> i do that's I have hysterical. a spreadsheet for everything. What's your goal? How many people you want? I want to sell it out. Three twenty-five. My that, goal. My goal today is to be get to two hundred. Okay. So is it Excel spreadsheets or Google Docs? Google Docs all the way. Got to go cloud. Got to go cloud. Definitely. Uh, and talk about talk. Tell us about your openers. Yeah. So I'm having Neil Rubenstein, who's hilarious, mm-hmm. uh, host the show. He's and, a nacho boy. I don't know what that means. I'm really. I'm. I'm. So I love Neil, and 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 we we write with Neil, right? Like, there's a couple of different comics that we get together and we do writing sessions. And he's he's a really good writer. Um, what made you pick Neil? It, that that was a surprising pick. Uh, in my, like for me, that was a surprising pick. Not because I don't think he's a skilled um, stand up, but it was just like, why did Ashley? Because because we don't hang out like you see the the girls that I hang out with, and I guess everyone thought I would choose one of them, um, but. Uh, I picked Neil because he's such a good writer. He's a joke writer. He's mm-hmm, going to yeah. get up there. His laughs per minute are probably insane. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like I think of myself, I mean, my laughs per minute are pretty good, but I think of myself as the kind of person that, you know, uh, the, if you were to graph my laughs, like this is a new way to do comedy, LP, uh, do comedy LPMs. and LPMs. Yeah. yeah. Like the beginnings of my jokes are a little longer and then I have like a huge laugh and then like some tags. Whereas Neil is like, he's, consistent and his writing is so economical that he's i know he's going to open up the show and no matter what have incredible rhythm and i think his comedy is really smart but at the same time uh really accessible which i really admire it's Mm -hmm. not a quality i think of my comedy as a little less accessible uh not that lots of people don't like it but like Neil, I think, can go is there, pretty much anywhere in America. I, yeah, and I, I think what you're going to do with him, having him open is prime. Do do a couple of things. You'll prime the room for jokes and yeah, comedy. The, it's jokes, uh, and and people will be there. Will be a rhythm that exists by the time you get up there. So and is also, it him, and then and then it's Cress Hernandez. Yeah, Cress. Yeah, and also you're they're both such good contrasts to you. Like like yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like personality wise, was that like beyond? I mean, look, they're both funny guys. Like no 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 doubt, but. Um, was there a personality kind of combo that were, that you're thinking yeah, about? Yeah, I wanted people who would make the audience think, uh, prime them to start thinking, because my comedy is almost entirely, like, thinking. Uh, it's, not, it's not super accessible. They were going to make the audience think, but not too much. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just – and not overlap with what I'm saying. Yeah. They have – we have – Neil and I have no material in common. Yeah, and they'll also both kind of like, uh, well, Cress especially, kind of uh, obliterate the um, 
the the desire for like political correctness or like yes. those, people will stop thinking about oh sh- is, am I okay to laugh at that like yeah they'll stop th- having well, that's those the way you, you would hope it w- would pan out which I think it would but that's one that's another thing how do you deal when things don't go according to your expectations because when you plan out everything so precisely you have these spreadsheets you're expecting these laugh per minute you're expecting this reaction to the laugh. You you plan all that stuff and it, then it doesn't. She work yells that at way. them, dude. <laughs> it, it depends if it's like a short set. You just change your set. If if you can tell what's wrong. No, if, but in the moment, in the same show. Oh, you mean you change the future bits yes, coming up? Yeah. Oh. You just uh, you just change. Like if I I did a set at a club the other night and I could tell that they were not going to laugh at the stuff that really challenged them. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm doing my least challenging set and just totally overhauled what I'm going to do. And I like know what those jokes are. And by the way, none of those jokes are going into my Caroline's. You know, I I think uh, I think that's interesting because I've had discussions with comedians about uh, challenging the audience, about doing about shaping their set to the audience or just doing whatever their set is that they want to do. And I can see merit to both of them. Like on one hand, you could say like, well, you have this, this kind of this thing that you've created, like stick, staying true to it. I can respect that. But I could also say, well, at the same time, you're not, you know, the audience is your instrument. And if you're not going to play the instrument, the way the instrument's supposed to be played. then Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I love crowd work. It's something that I do on the road and at clubs a lot, but it's not something that I'll do at an audition. It's not something that I'll do at a mic. Mm-hmm. It's something that is pu- purely you do because some crowd work at a mic. Maybe like just a little Especially to warm if it's them like up. A total just shit to room. warm them up. I've seen you. Cr- I've seen you crowd work the shit out of like a particular mic when it was just total garbage and you knew it. I mean, maybe, but to a purpose. And most of the time, the purpose, in my opinion, if you're doing a show, especially if you are getting paid, especially if you are getting paid, you make them laugh. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know. We don't get to see each other at paid shows. Yeah. We only know it's one of the weird things about being a comedian is you only know someone from, from their mics. mic sets. Yeah. And and a lot of times you'll see someone at a paid show for the first time and you're like, Oh my God, yeah. you are amazing. I'm or glad I didn't you brought know this up. part of you. It's something that like really it affects me deeply because I, I know people like think about especially my aggression at a mic where I'm like, you know, I've been at eight mics in one day yeah. and I'm at my ninth mic and I'm grumpy or whatever. Yeah. But um, if you're at a show, you were bringing your A game for that show. So if you yeah. have to do 40 minutes of crowd work, you do 40 minutes of crowd work. That's yeah. what you do. But, you, you know, Caroline's is going to be so different. It's it's mostly it's my audience is people from my mailing list is people that I went to school with. It's yeah. other comedians. So I know I can do the equivalent of what an Ashley Gavin special might look like yeah. down the road. Well, here's the thing, though. So when you're doing your own special, you you know, you have that flexibility to kind of like make them laugh however you need to make them laugh and you, as well you should. Right. But what about, what about if you're in a show, do you ever worry about like burning the room for the sake of like, I've got to get maximal laughs during my set. Or do you just feel like, you know, my set exists in a bubble unto itself and as does everybody else's. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever worried about other people's sets. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> I, I, so this came up for me recently. I, I, I did catch a rising star in Princeton and, uh, I had 20 minutes up front to do. And, uh, the headliner, he was like, I don't care what you do up there. And, but the, the middle, he, the, he was like, you know, sometimes headliners will say, don't do any crowd work. Cause I want, I want to get them mm-hmm. first, you know? Uh, so thank God with these shows that we're getting booked for, usually we don't have to worry about that stuff. Because, yeah, burning the room, like, 
Well, when you're hosting, particularly, you have to be super. Yeah, that's a, that's of that. different. Yeah. If you've been hired to be a host, you've been hired to sacrifice your set. But yeah. some clubs too. I mean, especially road clubs will be like, if you come into my club and you do your set and you have a good set, but you like just burn the room for like anybody else that comes after you. You know, sometimes they don't look at they don't like that. Mm. You know, like now it depends on the the circumstances, obviously, but um, I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Uh well I'm I'm curious more about this Caroline's are we are we still talking about this we're talking about whatever we want to talk about yeah like the I day w- of Caroline's are you gonna hit a mic before you go no I don't think so I think I'm gonna what's your day what's your big show ritual you must I, have I don't know someone asked me this the other day because I've been fortunate enough to do colleges but when I do colleges almost always I'm driving like four hours to get to the college that yeah. day yeah. So I guess my show ritual is actually just to m- just sit yeah. and do nothing. Like, Are you I'll doing 45 think- or an hour? No, I'm going to do an hour cool. because I, I challenged myself. I was like, 40. I know I can do 45 pretty, not like tight the way you do tight five, but no, who does? But 45, yeah. I know I can do tight. I don't know what my tight hour looks like, and I've never gotten the opportunity to and, do that. And you think you're going to do minimal weaving of crowd work? I, I plan audience. to do basically none. Okay. And on the stool next to you, will you have the napkin with bullet points or do you think you'll be, it'll be all I'm going to have a laminated, in? color-coded piece of paper. Laminated? Yeah, because I don't want the water to spill on it and fuck it up. That okay. happened last time I did a half hour. Uh-huh. So you are going to keep some notes nearby? Yeah, but I'm trying to memorize the set. Do you, do you ever have any um, difficulty with kind of committing stuff to memory? Like sometimes I find that a challenge. Like sometimes I'm like, well, if you do it enough times, then... Well, she has a huge hard drive, like a lot of RAM. Up in her, up in her. Yeah. yeah. So I have a, I have some learning, di- what we call in my family learning differences. Mm. And uh, one of my magic powers is I have like a almost photographic memory. My sister has it too. You know, I was s- speaking similarly on this theme. I was surprised one time we were somewhere and you lost your keys. I'm very forgetful. And That's I, I part couldn't of believe it. that. I just couldn't believe that you were a person that didn't have. Like I, I carry my keys in the same pocket, the wallet in the same pocket. I know I do that too. I actually do that too. <laughs> this is when they figured out that I was disabled, because like not disabled, but I swear to God, they don't have a name for this yet. But I know in like twenty years they're gonna have a name for this. But when I was growing up, I could not keep small pieces of paper, keys, my wallet. Like that's just stuff. It it it's so the antithesis of how I work, and that's how I actually got into using computers. Mm. You can't lose any the system just makes more sense to me on a computer than like like i have a catch-all now by the door because i will lose my keys like i will lose them i'm a huge fan of a catch-all yeah catch-all is great but so yeah so you have to struggle with these little things but an hour of material you've got catalog isn't that weird yeah it's It's a different type of memory i don't really know biologically why that is yeah but yeah growing up me and my sister my sister's is a little better than mine which drives me crazy but we would have these huge games of memory, like with two decks of cards, mm-hmm. and every single time she would beat me by one, one pair of cards, and like. And that, what's your sister's name? Greer. 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 She's yeah. so great. Yeah, she's awesome. So she'll be at the show. Yeah, she'll be there. Parents. My mom is coming. Yeah, yeah. Cool. We're gonna have a whole Gavin clan. Yeah, it's a lot of <laughs> a lot of my childhood friends are coming. And you grew up in Manhattan. Yeah, I grew up cool. here, which is really convenient. I mean, that's yeah. huge. like Caroline's is. Uh, arguably the biggest comedy club in the world. Yeah, between that Not and the size, cellar, yeah. you could argue that those are the two most well-known. I would say the cellar but is I mean, like... size-wise, Caroline's is a huge club. Yeah. 
mean, yeah, it's the very cellar large. couldn't hold that many people in no. there by any stretch. Um, yeah, and it's like definitely one of the top, top two, top three. Yeah, maybe the store, but other than that, I mean, those three. Yeah, uh, does that is that exciting? Like, do you did you dream about being a stand up when you were a kid? That's a. This is another interesting question. In the eighth grade, I watched stand up specials growing up. Like, I watched half hour shows. I remember like being a little kid and watching Comedy Central, and my like parents realizing like we should turn this off. This mm-hmm. is not appropriate. Uh watched Ellen in high school. Her special came out while I was in high school, the the here and now, which is like so good. Watched Wanda Sykes special, uh Eddie Izzard I had on oh, DVD. Yeah. So I was watching stand up as a child and I performed stand up at my eighth grade talent show, which I totally forgot. And then like if you look at my email, because I have the same email address that from like two thousand five, you can actually see in my email like little emails that I sent myself material for later. Mm-hmm. But I never thought I am going to be a stand-up. Man, I, I had the same exact thing, and it kills me. Yeah, because like you, somebody like you would think, like, why didn't she start doing it at, like, 16? Yeah. Right? Well, but, I wanted to be an actor, a comedic actor, and I wanted to be like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I wanted to mm. write and create and, and act it, and that's still a huge goal of mine. I see myself yeah. as both of a stand-up and an actor. But people don't know that part of me because, you know, but... uh. Then when I finally did my first open mic, I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Like this, this is what I should have been doing all along. Well, stand-up is great because it's such a good, like, uh, sandbox for developing all that other stuff, which I can, we all can see you doing for sure. Um, Can can I ask how old you were at your first open mic? Uh, Yeah, I was 26. So a little, a little old for starting stand-up. Yeah. Uh, So guys, if you started after 26... Turn it in. You're done. Well, uh, one thing I looked up, Wanda Sykes started when she was 25, uh-huh. which was inspiring. And she worked in a similar field to me uh, prior. So that was like kind of cool. Yeah. Who do you get fired up by? Who, who are you? I mean, wa- I watched Wanda a couple days ago, the same special, because she's my favorite comedian. She makes me laugh harder than anyone. And she can talk about literally everything. Yeah. And her delivery is as amazing as her writing, yeah. which I think. I love a lot of comics will get about act outs and voices. And I understand like so heavily relying on them, but I love a truly good performance. Yeah. That's what's, that's, that's what's fun about. I don't get me started on that. I don't want to derail this. I will say yesterday (laughs) I watched, uh, in the background while I was working, I turned on, uh, Gaffigan's new one, Cinco. And then at night, I haven't watched it yet. And then yeah, at yeah, night, I put on Jimmy Cars. Did you guys watch Jimmy Cars? Yes. I love Jimmy Cars. It's amazing. That special. So good. I, I don't, I don't, they're both geniuses, but I would watch Jimmy Cars again and recommend it to anybody. Gaffigan, it kind of goes back to the robot thing. It's like, they're brilliant jokes. The material's amazing. It's hilarious stuff. A, a few bits were like amazing, great. But I felt like I was watching somebody reading a teleprompter where Jimmy Carr does so much like crowd work and it's artificial crowd work probably and prepared and whatever, but it's so engaging. He's a magician yeah. in what he's doing. Absolutely. And I love that part of stand up. Like I love there are some callbacks in my set that I'm so excited about because even though I'll do the same callback in a five minute set and it gets probably an equal laugh, doing that callback after forty five minutes mm-hmm. makes people's brains explode. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and it's that's so like a very cool. uh, 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 improv technique in the sense that you have these long sets 
you the idea is to generate all this material and then call all of it back at the end of half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour. And pe- yeah, just people are like, holy shit, how yeah. the hell did you yeah. do that? Yeah. And it's I, I feel like every in when I saw Ali Wong special, which was another one that really I was like, that was a a career altering special to watch because mm. I was like, oh, she's got a very clear thesis. Yeah. And you can meander away from it for a little while, but at the end of the day, you're amazed by what she's putting together because she's told a story, not necessarily a story, but a kind of story through that thesis. You know, and I was like, I want a thesis. Now that for you my say special. that, that that's, that's a good, that's a good two part question uh, that I would have for you is like, one, what do you think your thesis is? And two, um, you know, you're doing this show. I mean, obviously there's an incredible amount of work that goes into not only doing the material, getting your set together, but also just getting all these people to come out and see you. Um, what do you, what do you, you know, you did this, what is your goal? What are you hoping to get out of it? And, and what is your thesis? Like, I think those are two important questions. I have, I guess, three goals. My first goal is to sell out the room. Uh, because if I'm up there and I knew it was my responsibility, if there's one empty seat, it's going to break my brain to like, look at that empty seat while I'm performing, uh, to know that it was in my control and I could have. But is this just like unlocking an Xbox achievement or is this like something? I think it'll, I I think the audience will be better if it's full. Sure. And I know there's like a a one seat, two seats is not going to change the audience, but I would like to on my bio, like say, like I sold out my first. You know, yeah. I think that's yeah, sure. it's it's only one resume line, but like when you have a lot of those, it can make a big difference. So there's yeah. that. Uh, then there's the creative goal, which is the the thesis, and I I don't have it. I've ne- I've only said it out loud once, but I think my thesis is, uh, bang whoever you want, it doesn't change who you are. I think that's what my thesis is. When you see it, you can because so much of my set is about identity, uh-huh. but also about sexuality, and I like play with stereotypes none of which I actually believe. And I think that's, like, the whole point of my set is, like... Yeah. Well, that cat joke you're doing, which I won't put you on the spot to say, it kind of plays into that. Like, I love I love that joke so much. Thanks. And uh, the part where you're, like, if, you're, if somebody says they're a cat, they're a cat. Like, there's something so playful about that, but in that joke is that thesis that you, you believe that. Like, yeah, we I think... Ident- we are who we identify. I think I've always sort of thought, like, you can... Because a lot of people don't know this about me. I play with it a little in my stand-up but like i am a very sensitive person i'm i do some girly things like i love kids a lot of people are shocked to find out that like i want to be pregnant i want to have kids people mm. are like whoa you want to carry like just because i walk you know what i mean yeah. like i definitely want to want to carry and so i think who who you're with influences how people perceive who you are mm. and those well, things pers- are not related you have a very tough persona on stage you yeah know? yeah um, so yeah, I think, I think people that just know you through that, it's, it's hard to imagine the sensitive Ashley. Yeah, for sure. Then yeah. that's fine. But that's sort of what that's about. That's a creative goal. And then I think there's a professional goal, which is like, I'm trying to get industry in the room. It, it's looking pretty good. And I want them to leave, you know, this is a wild fantasy, but I want comedy central to leave being like next year, half hour. We saw it tonight. Yeah. So yeah. But so here's a question for you. How do you how how are you so comfortable saying these things out loud? Because as a person who has the same goals, I'm so hyper aware of like 
well, what are people going to think about me if I like talk so confidently? And and recapturing confidence is like something I'm talking about in therapy. It's something I had a long talk with Alzo Slade about in a car ride once. <laughs> and it's like a car I, ride with Alzo Slade sounds like just the best thing ever. It changed my summer. Uh, d- he literally was like, you know, he's wise. He it's was like, like a dinner with Andre. He yeah. was like, you were always funny. And I remember you at some of your first mics. You were always funny. The thing that's changed is you're not confident anymore. He he said that to me, and I I needed to hear it at the time, and it like literally changed how I was performing, and I feel like I'm getting back to it. Wow! So how do you? I had a conversation I don't think you've like ever that had too. a problem with this though. Like how do you? How is it even? Are you even aware that you're you're good at being confident? Oh yeah, but I also it's weird because I I have such a great dose of self loathing that goes on. I, I'm sh- I don't know if that surprises people, but I have terrible imposter syndrome. Like, but I also that phrase "fake it till you make it." It's so trite and overdone. But I worked in startups, mm-hmm. and I worked at a startup uh, that now has an incredible brand, very well known. A lot of regular people know about it, even though it's tech. And uh, I watched literally the executive. It was me and the executive director, and we worked in a closet. We yeah. worked in a closet for many, many months, and now it's got like a hundred employees, and, and you it's were used blowing to being up. in a closet. Very used to it. I loved. Well, I didn't love it, but you know, I was comfortable there. <laughs> uh, and watching her just like send random emails, mm-hmm. being like, "Hey, give me your money," yeah, uh, and raising the money, and I realized, like, oh my god, like no one is going to do this for you. You literally have to do it all yourself, and if you don't believe that you're going to do it. Even when you don't believe that you're going to do it, you have to believe you're going to do it. Yeah. Because no one is going to do it for you. And I think I learned that that moment, that builds momentum and momentum is everything in a creative field because you can get stuck so easily. It's the only thing that will kind of keep, keep the light of hope alive. You know what I, yeah, I, I I noticed like on when I've seen you on stage anytime and this is just, you know from like trying to closely observe how everybody does everything. When I ever see any kind of confidence falter in your eyes, I then see you like turn on, you, you become that much more aggressive. Like you're almost like you like, you like, it's almost like I can just see you boxing that any kind of lack of confidence that you have till you get back to it. Yeah. I think it's really, I do a meditation like a mini meditation before I get on stage. What do you say? Is it a mantra? Based I one? literally visualize. Is that um, what Periscope's all about? This is, just, that's your... The Periscope <laughs> helps too, though, because the Periscope is the illusion of fame. Yeah. You have people who watch you. They're your fans. You don't know who they are, but they watch you. Even if it's only 10 of them, they want to watch you and you talk to them and it makes you feel feeling famous makes you more famous i know that's crazy but like it, no i, I that again sense. that's another thing i appreciate you saying because like i think i engage in that stuff too and i i know it in my heart that that's what it's for but i'm ashamed of that for some right, reason because the comic but you own it and I, I really appreciate you just like owning it the comic culture i think comedians have a little bit of an obsession with negativity and cynicism and it works because that's our job we're like supposed to be negative and cynical of everything going on around us it's important for us to show people the truth about the world like that's our job but we can't bring that into the business side 
and the craft mm. side. And I feel like a lot of people will crap all over people who are trying. Yeah. You know, it's, almost like high school. It and turns, it's like, you can't do that. It's such a turnoff. It's like, why why would I book you if any time or why would I want to be on a show with you or be involved with you if every time I see you on social media, it's to like shit on somebody else in our community. Yeah. You know, well, you know looking at being, being a comic as I am and looking at the negative side, one thing that I'm actually interested in is, um, you know, when you look at when we're talking about everything about comedy, we're talking about what you're doing as a comedian. We're, we're talking about like all of the really positive aspects, which are great and I think are important to talk about. But what do you do with failure? Because I think that's uh, that's like one of the most important parts of being an artist of any kind, but especially in comedy. Like, how do you deal with failure in the moment? How do you deal with failure in general? Like, what is what is your approach to, um, you know, moving beyond it and overcoming it? Yeah, I think, com- well, like I said before, comedy for me is an iterative process. So uh, a lot of times you go back and you listen to your, you gotta, first of all, you got to be technical when you're looking at a joke. If you're not separating it from yourself emotionally, you're not going to really know how to edit that joke and, and to throw it away. I, I see a lot of comedians not throwing away material. Don't get attached to it it's picasso made like a million paintings a day he painted what three times a day since he was six or something like that most of those were garbage and he threw them away so that's what kind of how i look at jokes like you're gonna write something there's a really good chance you're gonna throw it away and like not well let me ask you what do you just straight because there's one thing like throwing it away like to me throwing it away especially no, put it in a little file called right. uh jokes that don't work and then maybe come back to it yeah. in a year or something yeah. like that right and then, like, I mean, I just want to interject and say it's so interesting. You asked her a very emotional question, yeah, and and you didn't really answer. Like, like, she got, how, what do you do with the feelings though? Oh when yeah, you feel no, like, I cry, fuck, they didn't I cry like me tonight. They didn't I like go me? home and okay. wanna. I don't ever really want to quit anymore. Did you have those moments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a long time, I think the whole first year was just like getting past those mm. moments. But the way that I approached it was was technical. Like, I just knew that I had to get on stage again. Yeah. You erase your last set once you get on stage again. Yeah. And then if you're continuing to get on stage and the joke is just not working, for whatever reason, you it just doesn't work. So separate yourself from it. But, but yeah, about, like, I, I called... In that moment, you're in a show and maybe one or maybe all of the jokes are just not landing. Like, what? Like what's going through your head? What do you... What, do you, what is your approach? Because you're... Because, yeah, you could be like, next time I'll get them. But, like, what about in that moment? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, you call your close friends and you complain about how dumb everyone is and no one understands you. <laughs> and uh, maybe this isn't for me. And I only had maybe this isn't for me a couple times, like, early on. Most of the time it's just, like, being like, why? Why am I so weird? Like, this is where the gay being gay kind of hurts, like, why is it when I talk about my relationships, people don't laugh, but like when people talk about their, when other people talk about their relationships, like it's just considered men versus women or blah, Mm. blah, blah. I'm like even tearing up a little bit right now, just even thinking about being in that audience and being like, none of that was controversial. None of that was dirty. I didn't curse. Like, why didn't people like that? Mm. Oh, because like I'm a woman aggressively talking about my relationship with another woman. And like, Mm. it's just too much. It's just too much. And well, I've noticed that sometimes some of your jokes, you will, um, make them sh- like a straight couple as your example or whatever. You won't do... I actually think I was joking about that during a mic one time yeah. about like putting it in that context. Because um, it's just easier for people to digest. I know that sounds like a terrible... I don't even think to do it as a gay couple because I know I'm talking to most most people. Most yeah. people are not gay. 
Yeah, it, it'd be so interesting to see you do stand-up in, you know, not 2017, like 2117. Like, when when audiences are super hip. Oh, it's going to be wasteland at that point. You guys. <laughs> but 2118. Uh, or 2018, rather. Yeah. yeah. But Wait. just to put a capper on the, the failure thing, it sounds like the longer you've been doing this, you've closed the gap between failure and just fixing it. Like, now it's just, your. it seems like your mindset Obviously. is, how do I just... Obviously, I always try to look at just fixing it. But like even a few days ago, I was thinking about my set and I was like, I hate literally everything I've written, all of it. I never feel that way. Like I love doing my I love I feel proud of my jokes. So it was the first time in a while that I was like, I hate everything. And then I was like, you have to back it up, Ashley. Like, don't go down this rabbit hole. Like I couldn't separate the technical problem that I was frustrated about with my set from the laughs that I know my jokes can get. Yeah. You know, please shut me down here if this is totally ignorant. And, and But from my perspective, when I look at, like, people starting getting into comedy, I look at things that might be a difficulty in your everyday life as actually being a benefit there. So, like, you were talking about your frustrations with, like, audiences not responding to, um, you know, jokes about being in a couple because it's a gay couple as opposed to a straight couple. But, like, I always... You know, I always thought like or at least from observing that like there's actually an advantage, especially early on to to having something like where you're gay or or something else about you that you can talk about. But maybe that's completely bogus. I don't know. Uh, Not to be rude. I think it's completely bogus. I mean, no, no, that's why that's why I want to talk about it, because and I think this is super important for like because I hear that a lot. I hear young, particularly young. I'm going to blame this more on young than being young than race I am 15, or whatever. So they're, they're, that, that but I hear them get up and be like, well, I don't have, I'm not different than anyone. So it's hard for me to find my point of view. Point of view has nothing to do with the person you are. It's the way you see the world. Mm. And I know those things are intrinsically linked, but like Ellen DeGeneres's point of view has literally zero to do with the fact that she is gay. Mm. Like zero. Yeah. Her point of view is way more similar to like Jerry Seinfeld's. Yeah. She she's almost like a more positive Jerry Seinfeld or Jerry's like a more negative Ellen DeGeneres, but like or like a more I don't know sharp. Uh, she's like a bustier Jerry Seinfeld, but she's also like a it. seasoned veteran of comedy. You know, but but she was decades. doing that early early on. If you watch her like first Carson appearance, yeah, her Carson. Oh my god, amazing! Really so, really so really good. Playful and uh, playful. Like, that's yeah, a great way to describe her. She's a playful her. Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah, and so like when I hear that. Uh, it bothers me because you're just not reflecting on who you, what makes you, you. And to think that like you don't have anything that's more important than, uh, I don't know, your race or your gender. And those are huge issues. I get it. But like the flip side of it is every time I did a show where I literally did one gay joke and the rest of my jokes were about uh, feminism, which is something that's important to me. And that can be important to a guy just by the way. I don't mind when guys talk about feminism. Um, But the person who saw me was this was an industry show came up to me after my set and said, do you do any not gay material? That's so interesting. One gay joke to say that I was gay and the rest was about feminism. That's hilarious because that's all they see. Well, feminism is pretty gay. Yeah, that's true. Well, but, but I guess my point is like they peep they those guys, they don't see that. Right. They don't see that a booker looks as them at as an everyman and they look at everything I do as the other mm. even when it's something that as soon as you open the door then that colors the entire exactly. thing. Exactly. And the other thing is that they don't realize is that 
they won't I will rarely get on a show with me and one other lesbian. If I'm not, if the lesbian's already on the show, I'm probably not going to be on that show. They they it's too many lesbians from or too many women. From a booker perspective, from a like, booker we've got one of those. Exactly. And yeah, and yeah. people don't realize that. They think like, "Oh, Ashley has this thing that makes her different and therefore she gets more opportunities." It's like, "No, no, 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 no. Do you know how many lesbian parts are written for me? Do you know how many yeah. Well, here's the thing. It evens I think out, your point think. of view perspective is well taken and absolutely like without a doubt, like everybody's got, you know, point of view. I guess I'm I guess what I meant by that question was more in terms of like already as a person have thinking about those things in a way that maybe somebody that that doesn't have to doesn't like if you're a, if you're a black man in this country, like you might be thinking about certain issues because of that that like some privileged white person's not going to be thinking about. Yeah, I guess, but I also feel like whenever I write a joke, I write it because something made me mad, sad, happy, confused. That's where I write from. And I feel like everyone has access to those feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's if you're not writing from your heart, then no one's going to give a crap about what you're writing about. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you said yourself like a lot of your comedy is identity oriented, right? Like, there's yeah, because I'm, um, but I think it's because well, I'm passionate about identity. Yeah, and well, there's also like, yes, you, we can all write about anything, but it does help to have a hook. And like, I, I, I like, I like talking about alcoholism and uh, like not mental ill. I don't want to say mental illness in general because I don't do a ton of that, but like, it does help me to have yeah. this specific thing I think to return that, to. A lot. I think that's hook is different from point of view. And I will absolutely be the first person to say, like, I get hook and I use it like yeah. for yeah. sure as a business, as a business. Tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because these idiots who are, hi- you know, hiring or booking or, you know, giving the half hours to, they want to be able to have the one liner under your picture on the website, you know, that. It's it's important to them to have to totally to say what product they're selling. But you found your hook without having to. I think everyone can find what their thing is. Yeah. I, I believe that. I like yeah. the idea of looking at things as a thesis. I think that's like a really interesting way. Yeah. To think about it, because if if you are coming from that perspective, then that can really. I think that can help you write and that can help you have a cohesive message like in, in everything that you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Is this a Tristan Smith joke? Is this a right. Patrick Holbert yeah, joke? Exactly. Um, that's, that's things. So that's one of the things I find tough, like at this level, writing with a group of guys or gals or whoever you're writing with, it's like everybody's got their own particular style and you can kind of feel it, but it's sometimes it's really hard to identify what that is. Like, uh, we wrote with George Fernandez at one point, and George has got a very particular style. He got a style like this. He comes up and he does like he does all it. He and, and, it's, oh, he's, and it's he's one of my favorites. He's great because he can literally say anything as long as it's in his voice, which it always is. It's so funny, and I mean, he could go through the yellow pages and be funny, right? Yeah. But um, but and that's like a real gift that he has of like like doing that. But to try to identify exactly what that is or um what the thesis is would be really yeah that's that's a tough thing and i think like being able to identify that more easily is like a really helpful skill if you can i love i love thinking about how like comedy is so technical but then there is this other thing that's just like funny is funny you know and like what is funny and you can't really put your finger on it you know but yeah. Yeah, like when you hear Jerry Seinfeld talking about stand up and it's just like he just thinks oh the way that this word sounds is is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He like yeah, I th- I 
Yes, certain. I got a question for you. Uh, what are some pet peeves of yours or mistakes you see other comics make that you think hold people back? Uh, not writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's too basic, but like, sit, please just sit down and write. Yeah. And like, don't get too emotionally attached to things like edit, cut, cut material. Um, uh, I think the mindset that like someone's going to discover you. Like, yeah. uh, I've been told I'm really lucky and I like, that's a weird one. Cause I do want to be humble and, but that's an important part. I mean, it really is like, you know, there's definitely skill is, is hugely important and all that kind of thing. But luck is, is definitely, but a part I think, of it. but I think, I think what Ashley's getting at is that she's created a lot of these opportunities. Yeah. Oh, so, so, oh yeah. Do you, uh, so you're I saying you're lucky in the sense that opportunities happen. That's luck. Like yeah, some, right. sometimes well, something weird, luck, but if you do not, if you do not have your resume, your headshots, your bio, your tight five that works literally anywhere in America ready at that moment. That's why you have bad luck. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You're sure. Uh, well, luck is when you create opportunity your, create your own luck. preparation. Right? right, right. And you can't control opportunity. You can control it a little bit. Uh, I know you can't control it entirely. I've had some opportunity moments that literally felt like they fell into my lap, but I was like ready to meet them. Well, back to these industry shows where I met you, Jeff Lawrence always, always, always says about you, he says, I'll never forget Ashley Gavin at her first industry shows. After every show, she would have her stack of business cards in her hand and pass them out and tell people to keep in touch. And I don't know what specifically he was talking about, whether that was just for industry or audience members, whatever. Well, but it's a very specific memory he has of you that, uh, you know, that, that, that helped. I'm assuming that helped you create some early opportunities for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing is people don't realize uh, that, Going back to failure, there were things that I did wrong at those industry shows. And the next time I went back, I fixed those mistakes. Yeah. I see comedians come have, have done several industry shows and they still don't have appropriate acting headshots for an agent. Mm. And I'm like, how have you done three of these already? And you haven't figured out that this just elevates your professionalism to have these. And I, I understand that it's a lot of money, uh, but actors are some of the poorest people in Manhattan and in New York and somehow actors have headshots and comedians don't. And I think it's, I think it's a cultural thing for comedians to feel like they don't need to do these things. Yeah. And I, I think it drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, with such a focus on comedy and with it being such a huge part of your life now, like how would you define your, or could you define yourself like outside of it? Like how, like, no, (laughs) (laughs) well, that's one that you get it. Cause that's one thing I think, um, uh, it's interesting because I do think that, uh, you know, there's a level of like you have to live, you have to live outside of it a little bit to kind of collect like the world and who you are as a non-comedian in order to turn it into comedy. Mm. But I don't know. Maybe maybe you don't see it that You're way. You're probably but... right to experience life and to have an opinions about it and uh, to be able to write. I'm, I'm sure I'm so focused on doing material that I've already written. Right. Although I just wrote a joke yesterday about the women's march, so maybe I am in touch with life. But but who's Ashley? Who was Ashley before you started? Do like before twenty six and you started doing stand up? She was lost. Yeah, she was doing things that I was doing things that um were not for me. I mean, like I loved I loved coding. I found it to be creative, but it was never the right thing. And mm. I forced myself to do jobs that I thought were the right job. Were 
honorable in certain ways and like had a future and were conservative and fiscally good and all this stuff. But I was not 100% happy. Uh, and comedy, like I, I'm emotional saying it. I wake up every day happy. That's beautiful. And I certainly relate to that. Like, See, I told you guys I cry every I, day. I, this isn't, I'm not even like, I'm just, I, thinking, I'm just forming tears. They're not going to come out, but like. When you when I'm looking at you and I'm like, I love Ashley, but I'm like, I'm not going to say that. That's creepy. I'm not going to say that. It's weird. <laughs> I just, I, yeah. I love that. I love that you're, uh, that you're, that you're, that you're feeling it so deeply. The robot is leaking. <laughs> yeah. And, and also I'll humanize you further. What's the name of your cat over there? His name's Hafner. I found him when I was, uh, he's been such a good boy just sleeping there this whole time. Yeah. Um, but I found him when I was at in college and I, he was living for a few months, uh, outside the dining hall. Hafner? Right. So the dining hall's name was Hafner. Oh, nice. And he, and the dining hall at the time was orange. They renovated the building. It's no longer orange. Hafner's orange. I know you can't see him. He's very handsome. He's a beautiful ginger boy. And, yeah. uh, he fits in with this crowd. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I, I, I rescued him and I hid him in my dorm room. Uh, and then someone ratted me out. Mm. And my mom's not a huge fan of cats and not just pets. She likes animals, but she doesn't like having one. Yeah. Uh, so, but she met him and was like, this cat's different. And she kept him. So I got to keep him. So Great. thanks, mom. All right. And then what about humans in your life? Any relationships? Not right now. Not really worried about it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Comedy's your wifey. Yeah. I, I mean, like. Yes, but I don't think, you know, I'm not actively yeah. thinking about it that way. Uh, I w- I've been in a lot of long-term relationships. Uh, I was in a six-year relationship and prior to that, like a three-year relationship. Uh, I feel capable of being in a long-term relationship. Yeah. And so I'm ju- not worried that it won't happen. And you know what I mean? Did in comedy impact your last relationship or was that kind of separate unto itself? I think that the problems already existed, but comedy became a thing to be a problem. But when you're in a problematic relationship... Uh, or when a relationship becomes problematic, everything becomes can be a few a piece of fuel for mm. the underlying problems in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fucking true. Shit. I I I'm gonna sound weird. I think that I have to be with someone who does comedy or an art. Yeah. Because I think I need to be with someone who has this other relationship that is as important as I am to her and vice versa. And neither one of us gets jealous or neither one of us thinks of it as, as these are two separate entities. They have nothing to do. I mean, you're so on fire. You, you don't need somebody that will put out your fire. You need them also to be on fire. Exactly. Or like to, I think the only other solution is to date someone who is as committed to your career as you are, yeah. which I think is very strange. Yeah, maybe personally. you need a, a manager recognizing type person. Part of, that's recognizing why people... it's part of who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan are an inspiration. Like, what if you did find somebody like that? I, I, I would mentally, I have trouble wrapping my brain around that because I do talk about this in my set. Like, I'm into like really ambitious powerhouse type ladies. So it's hard for me to imagine someone committing their career to my career. Uh, it freaks me out. So I'd rather be with someone who is. Their own thing. Their own thing. But overlap wouldn't bother me. A musician or another comedian or some about, kind of uh, artist. How about spicy, uh, scandalous sexual situations on the road? Any any fun on the road? I, I got an offer from a college student and I did that was the first time and I did not 
Damn it, Asher. You are adorable. That is the most adorable thing. It was the I got an offer. Yeah. Well, she emailed me saying, hey, do you want to hook up? And I was like, oh, not even to your face. Not even to my face. Yeah, it was very strange. Well, this was great. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. You're going to be amazing on February 1st. We're all buying tickets, right, guys? Put it in the spreadsheet. Do you have anything you want to let the people know about your cupping show or any other shows, anything like that? Just please come. It's a really big room. Discount code ASHGAVS, $11. And I can attest, uh, Cress and Neil are amazing comics. It's going to be front to back. It's going to be a great show. Yeah, it is going to be a lot of fun. One more time, the promo code? ASHGAVS. ASHGAVS, everybody. Guys, this has been the Comic Table. I am Sweet T. And I'm Sweet P. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye-bye, guys.